Right now, switch your family to T-Mobile and get four lines for $25 a line with AutoPay and 5G access included on America's largest 5G network. So don't wait. Get unlimited and nationwide 5G access for the whole family for just $25 a line. Visit a T-Mobile store or T-Mobile.com today. Plus taxes and fees. Customers may notice lower speeds and further reduction if using over 50 gigs a month due to data prioritization. Video at 480p. Unlimited while on our network. Qualifying credit and four plus lines required. Capable device required for 5G. Coverage not available in some areas. Some uses may require certain features. See T-Mobile.com. The Leslie Marshall Show. A true democracy in talk radio. Of, for, and by you. The people. from Washington, D.C. every Wednesday from 3 to 4 p.m. for an hour-long Generation Progress takeover. Check us out at genprogress.org or on Twitter at genprogress. Hello and welcome to the Generation Progress takeover of the Leslie Marshall Show. I'm your co-host, Emily Leach. And I'm your other co-host, Edwith Theogene. And today we are going to be talking about the recent ruling from the Supreme Court on the Trump administration's decision to end the Deferred Action for Childhood Arrivals program, which is commonly known as DACA, back in 2017. On June 18th, just a couple of weeks ago, the Supreme Court ruled in a 5-4 majority that the decision from the Trump administration was unlawful, which brought temporary relief and peace of mind to the 650,000 dreamers who had been anxiously awaiting this decision for years. This win is a huge testament to the tireless work of dreamers and young immigrant activists who have fought for this outcome for years, but it's also a reminder of how far we still have to go to prevent people in this country from living with the constant threat of deportation. As we speak today, the Trump administration is already putting plans in place to end the program again, and depending on the reasoning that they use this time, they may ultimately be successful. So to talk with us more about this monumental decision and what must be done right now to protect dreamers and all undocumented people living in the United States, we are joined by Claudia Flores, the Immigration Campaign Manager at the Center for American Progress's Immigration Team. Thank you for joining us, Claudia. Hi there. Thank you for having me. Yeah, really happy to have you on. Um, And we're also joined by Juliana Macedo Donacimento, the state and policy manager, the state and local policy manager at United We Dream. Thank you so much for joining us, Juliana. Yes, happy to be here. Awesome. Um, Well, Claudia, just to kind of get us started, would you mind giving us a quick overview of what your role as the immigration campaign manager on the CAP immigration team entails? Yeah, I'll be happy to do that. Um, Hi, everyone. I'm so glad to be here. Um, As mentioned, my name is Claudia Flores. I'm the Immigration Campaign Manager at the Center for American Progress. Uh, My role essentially is to lead uh, the advocacy and public campaigns that the center does to advance progressive policies. One of the big campaigns that I've been working on for the past two years, actually three years now, um, has been the fight to ensure permanent protections for dreamers, but also Um, temporary protected status holders, 
um, who are people that have lived in this country for the majority of their lives and who have been under the constant attack of the Trump administration. So my role at CAP um, has been to really work with partners to inform the community about what is at stake and to utilize some of our great resources and some of the data that we produce every day uh, to get this to the hands of the right folks so that we can continue to advocate for agendas that would favor you know, the, the, the people. Um, and that is something that we've been doing, not just on DACA, but in so many of our other areas of work. Thanks, Claudia. Uh, Juliana, what is the mission of the United We Dream and how did you come to this work? Yes, um, so United We Dream is the largest immigrant youth-led network in the country and we aim to ensure that we can all live freely no matter our immigration status, right? Um, I came to this work because I'm uh, an immigrant myself. I grew up undocumented in California and I got into organizing during college and got DACA during those years as well, right? And uh, now after grad school, I wanted to get more into the advocacy part of organizing. And so I, I, I came to work for United We Dream as their state and local policy manager. But I came to this work because it's very personal to me. That's awesome. Thank you so much, Juliana. Um, so diving into the Supreme Court decision that I mentioned right at the top of the show. Um, so on June 18th, the Supreme Court ruled that President Trump's decision in 2017 to end this program was unlawful. Um, Claudia, can you just tell us a little bit more about what this decision means and why you think that Justice Roberts in particular ended up siding with the majority on this? Were you surprised by the ultimate decision here? Sure. Um, I was definitely surprised. I think there's been um, lots of conversations happening about, you know, why did Chief Roberts join the liberal majority or the perceived liberal majority in this decision? Um, and what can we do now, especially as we see that the Trump administration continued to bash on the program um, and is intending to potentially end it again? Um, so what we have here on June 18th, as you mentioned, uh, the Supreme Court decided five to four. Um, in its ruling that essentially the way the Trump administration went about to end the program uh, violated some of the provisions uh, within administrative law. As a result of that, the court called the Trump administration uh, that they acted in a very arbitrary and capricious way. Um, and that's just essentially like good governance, right? Uh, when you are making some major policy decisions, typically you want to follow a process. And what the court decided then was that the Trump administration did not follow the right process in the way they went about to end the program. The court also makes a point to talk about how the Trump administration did not fully consider the reliance interests behind this program. Um, and that means, you know, a lot of the conversations we've had about the contributions of DACA recipients, we know that there's 200,000 of DREAMers who are working on the front lines of our nation's COVID-19 response. That includes people who are healthcare workers, who are stocking on grocery shelves, you know, who are working in not just food industry, but like as teachers, you know, everywhere across the country. Um, and, you know, the court really looked at you know, everything that was filed and that included, you know, briefs that were filed from, you know, major entities across the United States in which they just show how much the program had impacted the lives of real people. Um, and the court felt that, you know, the Trump administration essentially did some corner cutting and did not properly um, end the program um, uh, based on the recession that they did in, you know, back then, September 2017. So the court's decision means that 
you know, in theory, based on this ruling, the program should return to where it was in 2017. And where the program was in 2017 was that it allowed new applicants, right? People that would be DACA eligible and that would be aging into the program. And also the continuation of renewals for people that were already enrolled in the program. Now, the Trump administration seems to be interested in continuing to challenge the program. You know, they've been talking about, you know, this thing called refiling, which technically doesn't exist, but it's more of a talking point. Um, and, you know, at this point, we don't know exactly what they could do. But one of the main things that we've been, um, you know, urging the Trump administration is to comply with the court's order. Uh, we know that, you know, opening the program would have deep impacts in a lot of young people, especially people that, you know, would be aging into the program. I think a lot of folks don't realize that over the past two years, you know, the program was not functioning in its entirety. Um, when they ended it in 2017, uh, there were litigations um, that immediately were, that, that, that followed, um, you know, lawsuits that followed uh, the, the rescission. And as a result of those lawsuits, several judges um, issued decisions in which they allow renew renewals to remain open. So the Department of Homeland Security was essentially forced to allow people that were already in the program to be able to renew their every two-year permits. Um, but that's not the case for people that would otherwise become eligible for the program. Those people were completely left out. Um, and CAP estimates that, you know, that could be close to 100,000 people or more. Um, so we're talking about a significant portion of the undocumented youth population that was left out. Um, so where we are now is, you know, we're trying to encourage renewals. We are trying to create awareness uh, for dreamers who are listening or people who know a dreamer. You know, we want to make sure that folks know that right now you can renew and that, you know, the court's decision is a huge relief for dreamers, especially those who had, you know, their permits and those who are considering to renew. But there is more to uh, be told about, you know, whether the Trump administration will comply and if they will allow the program to continue to function. Uh, now, the last factor that I'll add here is that the agency that processes the renewals and these applicants um, is right now uh, saying that they don't have the funds to continue. Uh, this is USCIS, right? That's the United States Citizenship Immigration Services. Um, they're the agency, the federal agency that is tasked with processing all immigration-related applications. Now, the Trump administration has had this anti-immigrant agenda for so long, um, and they've tried to limit not just the amount of people that are coming here legally, but even programs that have been accessible at DACA, uh, they've been trying to, to limit it. Um, and, you know, they've, they've been doing all these decisions. And as a result of that, the agency right now is saying that they don't have the funds to keep their staff. So, you know, whether DACA ends because Trump goes back and, you know, tries to, you know, issue a new memorandum from, from its agency or whether, you know, there could be a tax to the program just based on the fact that the agency that's tasked with processing these applications may not be functioning. So there is a lot of uncertainty that still remains for dreamers across the country. Um, and that is why it's so important for people to, to you know, be doing advocacy so that people know that, that this is a constant fight. Absolutely. Yeah, definitely a lot more to unpack here. Uh, you've been listening to the Generation Progress Takeover of the Leslie Marshall Show. We will be back shortly with more from our two guests, Claudia and Juliana. Hello, and welcome back to the Generation Progress Takeover of the Leslie Marshall Show. 
I'm your co-host, Edwith Theogene. And I'm Emily Leach. Um, and today we are talking to Juliana Macedo Nascimento and uh, Claudia Flores um, about the recent SCOTUS decision on DACA. Um, so thank you so much for joining us. So um, we covered a lot. So Juliana, United We Dream has been fighting against the Trump administration's decision to end the program since 2017. Um, what does that fight look like from your perspective? And how are people who've been on the front lines feeling about the decision from the Supreme Court? Yes. Um, so I have only been with United Dream since last year, but I have uh, been a DACA recipient since 2013, and I was a, a youth organizer before then. So um, from my perspective, I've only been grateful for those who have been working on the legal side of it all, right? I know that since I started at United We Dream, we have been first of all preparing for the hearing, right? So United We Dream had put together the first uh, amicus brief in video form, right, that the, the Supreme Court has ever received. And that was to really be able to tell the stories of DACA recipients and, and really be able to showcase the, the diversity within DACA recipients, right, that we're not just that um, valedictorian Latino uh, immigrant youth, right, that, that we really um, have come from all kinds of backgrounds and we lead all kinds of different lives, right? And so United We Dream has really worked hard to show, as, um, as we have been talking before, that, how, how do I put this, um, that our impact, right? Like all the the amicus briefs that were um, all, that were sent to the to the Supreme Court really showed the impact that that deporting DACA recipients would have in the country, and it wouldn't just be economic, right? But since the decision, um, we've been really happy about about the decision. Obviously, relief really would be a better word, um, but we know that the the work hasn't ended yet, right? And we are now preparing for the administration to try and end it again. Um, we're not deterred though, and we knew that DACA was never the answer to our struggle, and we won't stop until all immigrants can live free of the threat of deportation and free to live their full lives as citizens. And even then, um, we know that that might not be enough, right? So our, um, our mission is really to not only fight for citizenship, but for all kinds of, uh, of uh, social justices, including um, in including justice for our Black siblings. Absolutely. Yeah, so I mean, speaking of, you know, how this isn't enough and this decision alone won't, you know, solve all these problems, Claudia, would you mind talking to us a little bit about H.R. 6, the American Dream and Promise Act? Um, can you tell us a little bit about what that act would accomplish and what the next steps are to pass it? Yes, so the American Dream and Promise Act, uh, also known for its bill title H.R. 6, um, is a piece of legislation that uh, was actually passed in the House more than a year ago. Uh, this was sponsored by Representatives uh, Lucille Roba-Aller from California, uh, Nidia Velasquez uh, from uh, New York. Um, and, you know, the, the, the main, um, you know, the, the purpose of the bill essentially is to provide permanent protections for DACA recipients 
and for those under humanitarian programs like temporary protected status and DED, which is the Deferred Enforced Departure Program. And overall, you know, if this legislation became law, there could be up to 2.1 million dreamers that could be able to enter um, into a, a pathway so that they can eventually access citizenship. Um, so this is a legalization that would protect dreamers, that would provide, um, you know, some certainty, especially as we see, you know, programs like that are, are critical and have provided you know, so much support for, for those beneficiaries for the past, you know, uh, almost eight years. Um, and, you know, the reality is that Congress can act. Um, and we saw that in the House. Now, the Senate has not taken up this bill, um, despite, you know, the challenges that we see with DACA and, and the Trump administration going after dreamers pretty much um, from day one. Um, the Senate has not taken up um, the American Dream and Promise Act. So, um, you know, Congress could easily create a pathway to citizenship um, that would prevent, you know, the government from deporting dreamers. Uh, but the Senate and the majority leader in the Senate um, has said that they would not be a vote on this piece of legislation. Um, so this is similar to, you know, what we saw with the DREAM Act. Um, you know, the American Dream and Promise Act is essentially the latest version or iteration of the original DREAM Act. Um, and one of the good things about this legislation, and I think, you know, my colleague here, United with Dream, would agree, you know, this, these are types of legislation that seek to protect people with, without harming others. One of the things that we've seen from Trump and his administration is that, you know, they, they say that they want to work with Congress on something, but then they go and, you know, they, 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 they set these um, almost irrational proposals in which, you know, they want to, you know, trade off protections for dreamers in exchange for, you know, for instance, ending our asylum system and, and doing a myriad of, of dangerous things that would just harm other communities. Uh, so the goal of HR 6 from its inception was to, you know, provide that sense of certainty for dreamers and their families, but to also do so, um, you know, without increasing the risk to other immigrant communities. Um, so the Center for American Progress is proud to support this legislation. And, you know, we continue to believe that this could, um, you know, be passed and become law, uh, but we uh, have to see uh, where the Senate acts. Um, and this is just a reminder of, you know, being in an electoral year of how critical your voice is as a voter, uh, because this bill has literally been sitting for more than a year in the House um, and, you know, senators could be doing more. Um, and especially right now, if you live, you know, in, in states uh, where, 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 you know, any any state where you think, you know, your center needs to hear from this, you can definitely bring up, you know, why don't you bring up this legislation to the floor? You know, you can bring this up for a vote at any point. Um, so dreamers in the meantime, you know, are continuing to wait for, you know, this battle in the courts. You know, they have a little bit of relief under SCOTUS, but now, you know, they're still waiting for Congress to act. Um, and this is one of those legislations that has been there and, you know, would provide uh, a meaningful opportunity to protect dreamers. Thanks, Claudia. Um, something that you said, you said that the Trump administration has been after dreamers and trying to end DACA since like day one. And we already know that the Trump administration has already indicated its intention to end the program again. How do you see that process sort of like playing out? And um are you confident that the Supreme Court would continue to rule against him? I mean, here's the thing. I think for now, the Trump administration needs to comply. You know, at the end of the day, this is the nation's highest court um, that has said that, um, you know, they were in violation of federal law. Now, one of the challenges, and this is something that I spoke about in the beginning, is that the ruling from the court was very narrow. Um, so, you know, Chief Roberts is considered to be um, you know, very concerned with protecting the institution and, 
you know, the way he went about and his decision is, you know, in his concurrence with the, with the rest of, of the justices was um, that he basically says that, you know, the way in which they went about to end the program was, was wrong, that it was arbitrary, that it didn't, you know, take into full consideration, you know, um, you know, the, the, the impact that it would have on the people that relied on the program. Uh, but Claudia, also- we have to go to a break, but we definitely want to hear your response in just a moment. Okay, um, no worries. So <laughs> it'll be great. I know you have tons of information to share with our audience <laughs> no worries. listening to it. So this is gener- the uh, Generation Progress Takeover of the Leslie Marshall Show. We'll be back right after the short break. If you miss Leslie on TV this week, catch up at LeslieMarshallShow.com. If you miss Leslie on TV this week, catch up at LeslieMarshallShow.com. Welcome back. Generation Progress Takeover of the Leslie Marshall Show. I'm your co-host, Emily Leach. And I'm also joined by Edwith Theogene. And today we are talking to Claudia Flores, the Immigration Campaign Manager from the Center for American Progress, and Juliana Macedo Donacimento, the State and Local Policy Manager at United We Dream. And when we left off, um, we'd been talking with Claudia a little bit about what comes next after this um, monumental Supreme Court decision and the ways in which that the Trump administration might try or or will try to uh, continue to end the program. Um, So, Claudia, can you maybe just pick up where you left off uh, before we headed to commercial break? Yes, thanks, Emily. Uh, So here's, you know, I was explaining that, you know, the heart of Robert's decision really, um, you know, when he when he rolled on DACA, um, you know, the majority opinion really focused on how, you know, the way Trump went about to ending DACA, you know, violated federal laws, regulated agencies. Um, So, you know, in doing that, um, you know, his decision, you know, didn't explicitly say that it was unconstitutional for the Trump administration to terminate DACA, but the way it did so was. Um, So, you know, now this basically goes back to the Department of Homeland Security. So the Trump administration could potentially try to provide a separate explanation as to why they're ending the program. Uh, We saw this happen uh, in the case of the Muslim ban. They tried many iterations of the Muslim ban until they finally got a win. Now, the challenge here is that even if the administration, you know, revisits its legal strategies, which will just, you know, create a new legal battle on DACA, uh, it is very unlikely, um, at least from my perspective, that, you know, this would be, um, you know, um, that, that, that this would be clear before the election. Um, so that could create, you know, it could create pressure on Congress, uh, but it is unlikely that Congress will act, especially right before an election year. Um, but, you know, it would just create more uncertainty for dreamers. Um, and I think right now it would be a true loss for the administration to close the program and to not allow people to continue to enter, uh, especially because we see the tremendous benefits that DACA has for, afforded, not just for DACA recipients, uh, but the communities across the nation. Um, and, you know, the the recourse here, you know, what is appropriate is for the court, uh, for the Trump administration, excuse me, to follow the court's ruling to keep the program intact, just like it was in 2017, um, and to recognize for what it is. But um, the reality is that as we get closer to, to the election, uh, we know that most of the Trump administration's policies have been guided by Stephen Miller, um, who has been focused on a xenophobic and nationalistic agenda. And ending DACA has been one of the top priorities for the Trump administration um, in its attempt to reach a conservative base. 
Um, so we will see likely more attacks, not just on DACA recipients, but on immigrants. Uh, but the fight continues. And I think for now, we know that the court has been on our side. There's been many courts, not just the Supreme Court, but lower courts that, you know, let us hear um, that have pointed to just how important this program is for America. So we're going to continue to fight and stand with dreamers um, until we can achieve more permanent protections. Absolutely. Thank you, Claudia. Um, so, Juliana, could you tell us a little bit about what United We Dream thinks about, um, you know, aside from passing H.R. 6, which Claudia was explaining, isn't super likely to pass the Senate under the current leadership. Um, what do you guys think is the next fight uh, or next in this fight to protect the rights of dreamers and undocumented people? What are you working on like right now? Yeah, so um, we at United We Dream, we know that citizenship wouldn't completely solve all of our problems, right? We have to remember that immigrants lead intersectional lives and black immigrants suffer doubly under law enforcement. Um, they're targeted for the color of their skin as well as their immigration status. So right now we're in solidarity with our black siblings to defund the police. We know that if we say abolish ICE, we also need to be able to advocate for the end of policing especially as we know it, right? Um, we are really uh, happy with the victories that we have seen around the country, right? In Minneapolis and LA, for example, but we understand that our communities are also affected by being over-policed and that law enforcement collaborates with immigration enforcement, creating this pipeline between jail and detention and deportation, right? Where black immigrants are disproportionately represented and punished. So we need to be able to look beyond immigration issues and understand that all of our struggles are connected. Immigration is a race issue, it's a climate issue, it's a gender issue. So a large part of our work right now is to make those connections for our folks and to be in solidarity with other movements that center people who are directly affected by those oppressions. That's great. Um, and you're totally right. We don't live single issue lives. So it's great that United We Dream has this intersectional approach to a lot of the work and especially with all of the current fights now. Um, in other news relating to dreamers and undocumented people, I don't know if everyone's seen, but the Department of Education recently released a rule for American colleges and universities regarding the emergency relief funds that the CARES Act allocated for students. Um, the rule basically instructs institutions to exclude undocumented students when distributing uh, their emergency scholarships, along with other students like vets and students who've ever uh, defaulted on loans. Um, Claudia, can you speak to where this rule came from and what can be done to push back against it? Yeah, so um, the rule, I mean, this is just part of agency process. So uh, Congress passed um, the Coronavirus Aid Relief and Economic Security CARES Act. Um, this was the, you know, the most recent package that Congress has passed in response to, you know, the needs that we had, um, you know, in response to the pandemic. Um, in the Department of, you know, Education, um, you know, within some of the provisions of this law, agencies have to put out, um, you know, final rule basically explaining on how the law will be implemented. So the Department of Ed publishes interim final rule in which they added um, eligibility limitations, and that impacted a whole range of people, including undocumented students. Uh, so essentially, you know, the way they're going about it is that they are, um, you know, arguing that um, they're treating essentially these funds um, in the same way that they would treat uh, eligibility for federal financial aid. 
we already know that undocumented students um, are typically not eligible for most types of uh, federal aid. Uh, so as a result of this, you know, the department um, uh, is, you know, trying to go about it and say that, you know, the, the way uh, higher education institutions should appropriate and implement these funds would require them to, you know, to essentially go through the same federal aid channels that already exist. Um, and those are channels that currently bar uh, undocumented students. Um, and, you know, uh, right now, because this is an interim rule, um, the you can actually submit public comments. Um, I know the Center for American Progress and others are working, um, but you can also do it uh, in your in your capacity um, as an individual. You can submit a public comment, uh, but you should also be, you know, pushing, um, you know, your members of Congress. Uh, we know that there have been discussions about a potential, um, you know, uh, another relief package um, in response to COVID. Um, and, you know, not just in the case of, of, of students, but also we saw that, you know, mixed status families were left out. So there's a lot of opportunities to, to push your legislator uh, to, you know, make changes so that the next relief package does not include some of these restrictions. Um, and in, you know, in terms of the Department of Education, um, you know, I would say that, um, you know, the department has, you know, essentially created more uncertainty, right? Um, you know, because this is essentially holding funds. And I think the for a lot of higher education institutions that are dealing with just like the challenges uh, of responding to a pandemic and, you know, trying to support their students. I mean, this really puts, um, you know, very, um, this really burdens colleges, right? Um, because colleges now will have to find new ways to determine, you know, which students would be eligible for these funds. Uh, and there's still going to be a need to support these students. So they're going to have to spend some time and resources to figure out if there are additional funds that could be utilized uh, in order to, to support uh, the students that were excluded. So this essentially, it is a, you know, it, it is, it is a, a process that um, hurts students, hurts university leaders, um, and it makes it more challenging uh, to reach the, the type of students that would uh, need the most support, especially during these times um, of uncertainty as a result of the COVID pandemic. Awesome. Thank you so much for that information, Claudia. And can you just quickly reiterate, how long is the comment period for this rule? Uh, I think you just got me on that one because I am not working directly on this issue, but I, I, no worries, no worries. I think we have it. It's July 17th. Uh, Generation Progress also launched a comment tool. So if you uh, check out our website, um, under student debt, you can actually send a comment directly to the Department of Education and let Betsy DeVos know exactly what you think about this rule. Um, <laughs> So it's good that folks are pushing back and that we do have these opportunities to kind of like speak out because it is sort of egregious that uh, folks are being left out of this, um, this situation. Yeah, definitely uh, go to genprogress.org and submit a comment on that um, before the deadline of July 17th. It's super important. Um, and then I think when we come back from our next break, we wanted to talk just a little bit about um, a memo that was sent by ICE. This one isn't as quite, you know, DACA specific, but um, that would exclude foreign students from living in the United States if their universities move online as a result of the pandemic. So uh, when we come back from this break, we will talk about that and more. Thank you guys for joining us on the Generation Progress Takeover of the Leslie Marshall Show. Follow Leslie on Twitter. Just go to www.twitter.com slash Leslie Marshall, and we'll be sure to share your tweets. 
Uh, thank you for joining us. We've been chatting with Claudia from the CAP Immigration Team and Juliana from United We Dream about the recent SCOTUS DACA decision and learning a lot about how our immigration system um, is sort of working. Uh, Juliana, just yesterday, ICE announced um, in a memo that students from outside the U.S. will not be able to live in the United States while taking classes if their university moves to online learning in the fall. Um, this is a policy that feels like cruelty for cruelty's sake. How do you think this will affect young students from foreign countries? Um, I think you hit the nail on the head there, right? Like it is cruelty for cruelty's sake. Um, cruelty is the point of this administration, right? And from the beginning, they've been uh, what they've been trying to do is make the lives of immigrants in the U.S. that much harder, and to make it impossible for those who want to come here to do so. Right. Uh, this memo, as Claudia has been pointing out about other policies, is uh, just another way to add more uncertainty to the lives of immigrants. Right. It's, a, it's another way for them to pretty much terrorize us. Um, this memo specifically tells those uh, foreign students on F1 visas, I believe, that they need to have at least one class that meets in person. Right. And if the schools go completely online, which is the prudent thing to do right now because of the pandemic, right? Um, they uh, they will lose their visas and they need to go back to their countries of origin um, and take the classes online there, right? But that's um, that forgets to take into consideration lots of different uh, different things, like is the country where the student come from. Uh, stable enough that they'll have electricity or, you know, internet. So it's really throwing the lives of people into upheaval for no good reason, right? And um, uh, another thing that it, it, it doesn't consider is PhD students, for example, who are beyond taking classes, right? They don't know what will happen to them because even if they um, if they had classes, they, like, the, it, even if, they were home, they, they, they wouldn't be taking classes, right? Um, so they don't know what will happen to them. And but, but I think that the key thing to remember here is that ICE is trying to make education policy by forcing schools to remain, to open up in the fall. Ken Kutinelli, uh, 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 one of the people from USCIS and DHS, he said on CNN as much that this is to really encourage schools to open in the fall. Um, even though we are still in the middle of a pandemic and, and to take away the choice from those schools to protect their students, right? So we, I think that there's a, a, a larger picture here that we have to keep in mind with these policies that keep be putting out there um, that's just chipping away at, at people's sanities and, and, and protections. Um, and this is definitely a part of it. Uh, we also have to remember uh, two schools, I believe Harvard and, and MIT, today already filed right a challenge to to this rule. So um, it'll get it'll get challenged, and it'll probably get stuck in the courts, just like every other policy that they put out there. And we know that you know their administrative procedures are are not up to par, as the Supreme Court has already told them <laughs> with the DACA decision. So we're hoping that even though it does um, it 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 does make lives more difficult, that it that it won't be upheld. Yeah, Thanks, I. 
Uh, I was just going to, oh, sorry. I was just going to add that I think um, it is a very cruel, like ridiculous move for them to make. Instead of providing schools the support that they need to reopen safely, they're basically trying to force their hand to hurry up and do it. Exactly. Yeah, it's like if there was a coherent federal policy or federal, you know, guidelines around this pandemic in general or, you know, any kind of like good response, this would feel really different. But it just feels like, again, they're just trying to force these schools to open to um, improve their, you know, election prospects. And it's, it's just very frustrating. I agree. <laughs> <laughs> well, um, I think you know, just to kind of move on to actions that people can take and how we can um, take action on this issue and others in the immigration space. I was just wondering, um, maybe starting with you, Juliana, do you have any suggestions for people who are looking to get involved right now, um, whether it's on DACA or opposing this um, ICE memo um, and just standing up for undocumented people generally, what should they be calling their representatives and asking right now? Right. So if folks really want to call their representatives, they can, uh, we do, we are, even though we, sorry, even though we know that there is a, a, a very slight chance, right, that, that the Senate might take up HR 6, they could be asking for that, right, if they want to call their senators and ask for, um, for HR 6 to be taken up. Um, that that would be great. But another way that folks can um, take some action is they can text DACA decision, D-A-C-A decision, all one word, to 877-877. And we will keep everyone updated on the information they need and the events and actions that we'll be holding, uh, especially around uh, DACA issues and, and other immigration issues. So again, text DACA decision to 877-877 and uh, we'll be sending out information for everyone. Awesome. awesome. And Claudia, do you have anything to add on that for uh, ways for people to get involved? Yeah, I mean, I would just point that, you know, already uh, thousands of people are signing on to petitions. Uh, these, um, you know, pressures, these public pressure campaigns are particularly helpful at this time. Uh, we know that as of today, Harvard University and MIT have filed a lawsuit. So I think it's very important for you to email your university leader so that they hear from you on, on why this issue matters to you. Um, and the last thing that I'll point out just for the purposes of accuracy. So right now, the, uh, excuse me, the Student Exchange Visitor Program, it already uh, basically uh, does not allow for you to get an S1, F1 or M visa if you're attending a completely online university. But the big change here and what ICE has done is that they're essentially saying that even during a pandemic where we see that the, you know, the pressure to, you know, be as flexible and to, you know, go online is, is temporary, right, as a result of, of you know, ensuring that people are, are able to, uh, to remain safe, you know, the big change is that ICE is now mandate, mandating that if you go completely online during this time, then that would cause you to, you know, essentially, you know, be kicked out of the country and the Department of State will not issue visas to students that will be enrolling in the fall um, an online program. So, you know, that creates a true challenge for universities that are trying to grapple with, you know, public health considerations, but also being able to manage the needs of students, you know, and this could potentially lead to some closures. I mean, we know that some universities depend heavily on international students um, and that, you know, could impact local economies. Um, and while we don't know the full impact, we do know that it's going to be challenging the courts. Um, and if you look at, you know, the lawsuit that MIT and Harvard filed today, it's, it makes it very clear that universities are concerned about the impact that it would have on students, but also for their 
for their financial structures um, and the safety of, of everyone, right? If, if, and, and it seems that it is being done in a way that's malicious and that it's trying to really pressure university leaders to reopen um, and completely ignore some of the pre-thinking that some of these folks have been doing uh, to open in the fall safely. Um, and, and the last thing I'll mention is that, you know, we're, uh, I think we're probably less than six weeks away from, you know, the fall semester to begin. Um, so this is just creating a lot of pressure and enormous uncertainty for students who now have to figure out, um, and, and it's not as easy, right, as uh, ICE basically saying you can re-enroll somewhere else um, as long as your program is not fully online. But the reality is that, you know, if you're four to six weeks away from starting your fall semester, your plans are already made. Um, and not, you know, every international student is able to return to their home country safely because we also know that countries have imposed, you know, restrictions on travel as a result to COVID. Um, so this is just a terrible, terrible policy and similar to the way they went about with DACA and other immigration policies. It seems that the Trump administration is rolling out these policies in a way that's arbitrary and capricious. Thanks, Claudia. Um, before we end the show today, where can people go to learn more about you and your work? So you can follow me on Twitter. Uh, that's usually where I post all my rants, but uh, you can always visit, obviously, the Center for American Progress at AmericanProgress.org. Uh, but I am on Twitter. Um, it's just CloudsDC. Um, and I typically post some of the work uh, for myself and my team. Um, and I'll be happy to engage with you on conversations relating to immigration there. Thanks. And Juliana, same question. Where can people go to learn about you and your work? Um, yes, about me. Also, I guess Twitter is where people are these days. Um, my handle is is on the, the uh, tweet that y'all sent out, but Julie underscore Nasty Mint with a zero at the end. It's complicated. I know my name is long, so I'm sorry. <laughs> but also... Don't um, apologize for your name. It's your uh, name and it's perfect. <laughs> And um, please uh, visit unitedredream.org to learn about all the stuff that we, we're doing, as well as we have a lot of resources, especially on mental health, specifically for immigrants, right? And so we have a, a great UndocU Health program that's really amazing. And then DACADecision.com, where you can stay updated. Thank you so much. Uh, thank, thank you. you. Claudia and Juliana at Macedo de Nascimento. Um, we will see you all in two weeks. Add a little play to your day with the Michigan Lottery. Over 90 online instant games to choose from, with prizes up to $500,000. A Marquette County woman recently won $250,000 playing online. Could you be next? Sign up online today to receive 10 free games with promo code FUN. Visit michiganlottery.com to add a little play to your day. Add a little play to your day with the Michigan Lottery. Over 90 online instant games to choose from, with prizes up to $500,000. A Marquette County woman recently won $250,000 playing online. Could you be next? Sign up online today to receive 10 free games with promo code FUN. Visit michiganlottery.com to add a little play to your day.